Welcome to Success the Last, a podcast that honestly explores the complicated topic of success. I'm your host, Jared Siegel. I'm a partner at DeLap and leader of our wealth advisory practice. During each episode, we're going to talk to a business owner, entrepreneur, real estate investor, or industry thought leader about their own experiences, insights, and observations as it pertains to life, business, finances, and ultimately fulfillment. Candidly, it can be lonely at the top. Our desire is to use this podcast to connect you with the ideas and resources so you can be better equipped to make more predictable, profitable, and rewarding decisions as you juggle the competing priorities of life, business, and money. Keep in mind, this is a podcast. It's not meant to be a replacement for your CPA or financial advisor, so be sure to check with the appropriate professionals before implementing any of the ideas. Welcome back to another episode of Success That Lasts. Doing well with money isn't necessarily about what you know. It's about how you behave. Moreover, if we can change the way we think, we have a greater chance of changing the way we behave and making better wealth decisions. What further complicates things is we all live in a world that values, even rewards the appearance of certainty. Yet, the world offers us very little of it. Have you ever heard the saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same? Well, in that respect, life doesn't offer us a lot of absolutes. Life ends up being a game of probabilities. And the decisions that we make are linked to the way our brains are neurologically wired. One of the most prevalent mistakes I see investors make in their thinking is using a deterministic approach within a probability venue. We'll unpack that more in a little bit. If we want to control the controllables and the world around us is unpredictable and uncontrollable, then learning to control the way we think would actually be time well spent. To help set the stage, think back to 2015, Super Bowl 49. The Seattle Seahawks were taking on the Patriots. There was 26 seconds left and the Seahawks were on the goal line, down by four. With Pro Bowl running back Marshawn Lynch, a.k.a. Beast Mode in the backfield, everyone expected Russell Wilson to simply hand off the ball to Marshawn Lynch and win the Super Bowl. To everyone's surprise, Russell Wilson attempted a short pass that was intercepted, sealing the Seahawks' loss. Was that the worst call in Super Bowl history? Or is that us applying a hindsight bias and ignoring probabilities? After the fact, it's easy to second-guess the decision. But when actually asked about the decision, Pete Carroll explained that by throwing on the one-yard line, it would actually increase the number of attempts that the Seahawks had to score. You see, the clock was running, and the Seahawks had one timeout left. By throwing on second down from the one-yard line with 26 seconds left, they'd either score a touchdown or stop the clock due to an interception. The thinking was that if by chance they threw an incomplete pass, the clock would automatically stop. The Seahawks would then get to preserve their timeout. That way they could run the ball on third down. If they didn't score, they could stop the clock with the timeout. That would give them the option to throw or pass on fourth down. When you deconstruct the decision and view it through the lens of probability, Pete Carroll's decision to throw was actually quite shrewd and well-informed. He was playing the odds, attempting to increase the overall probability of winning the Super Bowl. However, most football fans simply judged the decision based upon its outcome, not the overall quality of the decision. Poker players actually call the tendency to confuse the quality of the decision with the quality of its outcome resulting. It's a very dangerous tendency that we're all shockingly susceptible to. Think about it. A bad decision can lead to a good outcome, and at the same time, a good decision can lead to a bad outcome. If you drove home after having one too many drinks, 
Would you wake up in the morning and think it was a good decision simply because you didn't get into a car accident? Absolutely not. It's easy to think about decisions as binary, right or wrong. But a lot of life's most important decisions aren't simply 100% right or wrong. Many of life's decisions don't actually work like that. Former World Series of Poker champion and now current business consultant Annie Duke wrote the book titled Thinking in Bets. I found much of its content really helpful. Our decision-making in life can be a lot like poker. We're making decisions or bets without complete information within a venue that is more probabilistic than deterministic. What does that even mean? Probabilistic versus deterministic. Well, in school, we grew up and we took tests. It was possible to get 100%. Many of us actually expected to get 100%. And when we didn't, we'd immediately go to look for what problem we got wrong. That instinct to see what we got wrong so we could learn from it is awesome. However, it's critical that we don't learn the wrong thing from our experiences. In life, 100% isn't an option. If we evaluate our decisions with the expectation that 100% is an option, we'll absolutely draw the wrong conclusions. If we change the way we think, we'll change the way we behave. Thinking in probability is trying to estimate, using some of the tools of math and logic, the likelihood of any specific outcome coming to pass. It's one of the best tools that we have to improve the accuracy of our decisions. In a world where each moment is determined by an infinitely complex set of factors, probabilistic thinking helps us identify the most likely outcomes. When we know this, our decisions can be more precise and effective. We want to focus on accuracy while acknowledging the uncertainty. From a financial perspective, this actually makes me think of Peter Thiel. He's worth a reported $5.2 billion. He's made most of his money in startups, both as an entrepreneur and venture capitalist. So let's dig into venture capital for a minute. From 2004 through 2014, there were 21,000 venture capital financings. 65% of those 21,000 investments lost money. 2.5% made between 10 and 20 times their investment. 1% of those investments made 20 times. And just a half a percent of those investments returned over 50 times their original investment. Through a deterministic lens, losing money 65% of the time is horrible. However, through a probabilistic lens and knowing the power of a long tail outcome, venture capitalists are able to make enough small bets and spread the risk that it actually turns into a profitable endeavor for them. According to Cambridge and Associates, venture capital has averaged 15% per year over the past 10 years despite losing money on more than half of their investments. Can you make more money by losing less? Absolutely. Is it possible for 100% of your financial decisions to be 100% right 100% of the time? No, absolutely not. Let's turn back to sports for a word picture. What do the following NBA basketball players have in common? Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Karl Malone, Dirk Nowitzki, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Michael Jordan. They're all in the top 10 in NBA history for missed shots. That's right, the most missed shots in NBA history. So would it have been the right move for the coach to ask them to stop shooting? Likely not. LeBron, Malone, Kareem, Jordan, Kobe, and Dirk are all on the top 10 for shots made too. To make the most shots in NBA history, it also required them to shoot the most, too. Nobody in the NBA shoots 100% over their career. Their shooting percentage was a bit of the probability of what are the chances they're going to make a shot. If they missed a shot, the right response was to not stop shooting, but rather to shoot again. For some investors, 
They look at a single missed shot and draw the absolute wrong conclusion. For example, I invested in stocks back in 2007, and then the financial crisis happened. Investing falls into the domain of probabilistic thinking, not deterministic thinking. So what are the probabilities? From 1926 through 2020, what was the probability that investing in the S&P 500 would beat the 30-day treasury? Functionally cash. Well, over one year, the probability was 70% chance that you'd beat cash. But over a 10-year period of time, it was 86% chance. Now, if we ask the same question, but we look overseas, what were the chances that the non-U.S. stock market would beat the 30-day treasury? Well, over a 10-year period of time, it was actually 94% chance. Think about that for a minute. Let's unpack that. In this domain, we actually get more and more certainty with more and more time. The probability of being rewarded with our investments increases with the time and with patience. Keep in mind, this ignores the benefits of diversification. I'm merely looking at a single asset class over a longer period of time. Diversification enables us to further increase the near-term predictability that many of us need and desire. Because we can't entirely eliminate uncertainty over shorter periods of time, prudent investors will be globally diversified across all asset classes, including investments that provide us greater near-term predictability. Savvy investors know that success or failure is not at their unit level of an individual investment. Success or failure is at the level of the portfolio. Portfolio effects happen everywhere. Being well-diversified means that you will never be 100% right with all of your money all at the same time. This might sound simple. We just look at the probabilities of something and then we make a data-driven decision. Yet, in reality, that rarely happens. Take earthquakes, for example. Tectonic plates wrestle with the pressure from the Earth's core day after day. The pressure builds steadily until one day the pressure grows so uncontainable, it explodes through the core of the Earth shifting the plates, causing what we experience as an earthquake. With the pressure released, the tremors stop, and the whole process begins again. The chances of an earthquake are not the same all the time. The chances of a large earthquake are actually lowest right after a large earthquake. Knowing this, a rational thinker would buy earthquake insurance strategically. However, you're likely not surprised that what happens is policy purchases surge right after the earthquake. As more and more time passes, people's perception of the risk decreases, and more and more people let their policies lapse, and fewer and fewer people purchase the insurance. Their perception of the risk is actually inversely related to the actual risk. This connects almost too perfectly to stocks. Stocks have had a tough start to the year in 2022. Volatility has picked up, and so has investor fear. I am definitely not an advocate for individual stock picking. But to make a point, let me call out a few interesting observations. Year-to-date, 2022, at the time of this recording, Facebook is down 35%. PayPal is down 41%. Netflix is down 38%. Zoom is down 38%. Even companies like Amazon, Microsoft, and Apple are all down on the year. My point is that people are more afraid to buy these stocks and buy these companies today at a steep discount than they were buying them in 2021 when valuations and greed was much higher. It reminds me of the quote, the stock market is the only market where things go on sale and all the customers run out of the store. What Nobel laureate Gene Fama helped the world understand was that holding all other factors constant, the lower the price you pay, the higher the expected return. 
which is why it's so important to consider a stock's observed market price. The price paid has a direct connection with the return we expect to receive. So it gives. If lower prices are connected to higher returns, why does fear win the day when stocks decline? I was recently reading a book by Dan Gardner. It was called The Science of Fear. In the book, he discusses the example rule. In summary, we have two ways of thinking that are simultaneously working at all times. We have our gut and we have our head. Our gut is quick, emotional, and very persuasive. Our head is slower, but much more objective and less powerful than our gut. Researcher Jonathan Haidt actually referred to these two ways of thinking as the emotional elephant and the rational rider. The elephant is the gut, while the rational rider is the head. And in that word picture, the rational rider often ends up going wherever the emotional elephant wants to go. One of the gut's simplest rule of thumb is that the easier it is to recall an example of something, the more common that must be. That is actually referred to as the availability heuristic. Though it can be an effective shortcut for our brains, it can also lead us astray. As scientists have studied this insight, what they've further clarified is it's the ease of the recall, not the actual substance of what was recalled, that guides our intuition. What makes this natural tendency even more potent is that fear ends up enhancing our memory and our ability to recall experiences. Hormones in our amygdala within our brain are triggered when we experience fear. Those hormones enhance the negativity and the traumatic memories, which make them last longer and even become more potent. So how do we get comfortable with uncertainty and make better decisions as a result? We shift our thinking from a need for certainty to a goal of accurately assessing what we know and what we don't. We'll be less vulnerable to our reactive emotions, knee-jerk biases, and destructive habits in our decision-making. So in conclusion, doing well with money isn't necessarily about what you know. It's about how you behave. If we can change the way that we think, we'll likely change how we behave, thus doing better with the wealth that we're being asked to steward. So thanks again for your time and your attention, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with some more content. Thanks so much, and be well.